Welcome to The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. It is Monday, March the 8th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat... It's interesting that you talk about it being, you know, uh, have it both ways. On the, on the security element, I never thought that I would have my security removed because I was born into this position and I inherited the risk. Mm-hmm. So that was a shock to me. That was what completely changed... The whole plan. So that that you, as Prince Harry, Mm. are going to have your security removed. Yeah, Yeah. and I even and I even wrote letters to his family saying, "Please, it's it's very clear the protection of me or Archie is not a priority. I accept that. That is fine. Please keep my husband safe. I see the death threats. I see the racist propaganda. Please keep him safe. Mm. Please don't pull his security and announce to the world when he and we are most vulnerable." And they said it's just not possible. The fallout, as the cat, is let out of the bag. The reaction to last night's interview that Oprah did with Meghan and Harry. I don't. I told you. I did say, dear listener. I did say in yesterday's episode of this podcast that A, this family is a cold, wretched institution that is racist that is colonialist and imperialist, that stole the crown jewels and much, much more from the African continent, that has this Nazi-sympathizing aspect to it, certainly where you were talking about Wallace Simpson, who got less heat in her day than Meghan Markle did in hers here right now, and that Prince Philip... When I talk about Nazi sympathizing, Prince Philip, as a teenager or as someone in his late teens, early 20s, was part of a Nazi rally. He attended it. He was introduced to people in Nazidom. God, I shouldn't even use that last dumb Nazi dumb. Well, they were in the Nazi, they were members of the Nazis. Not Prince Philip. I'm talking about he was introduced to them. There's photos of this. I told you this yesterday. Don't believe me. Go, just simply go online and look for yourself. I told you. And I wouldn't sit here and mislead you. I wouldn't sit here and lie to you. I wouldn't sit here and tell you information that wasn't true. And if there is anything that I tell you here that is untrue, I will correct it. And do so in the form of either an addendum to the episode, a rejoinder in the next episode, or something on Twitter, or something in the liner notes. I will do that. For example, before I go into really what the episode today is going to be about. For example, yesterday I had said that Meghan Markle had written an editorial that appeared in July or August of 2020 in the New York Times about a miscarriage that she had had. 
However, not quite correct. I correct the record right now. And I did so on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L last night. But I'm going to do it here on this podcast episode the day after. I said it. And the error was me saying that the editorial came out in July or August of 2020. That's not true. That's not accurate. The editorial actually came out in the New York Times on November the 25th. 2020, three or four months later than I had said it did. And it came actually Thanksgiving Day on November the 25th, 2020. That's when that was. And in that editorial, Meghan Markle said that back in July of 2020, she had had a miscarriage. So I was mixing up, and I apologize for the for the error. I had mixed up the actual time that she had the miscarriage with the date that the editorial appeared mixed, mixed those. I transposed those things or got them mixed up for sure. So I apologize for the error there. The editorial came out in November of 2020 and in it, Meghan Markle revealed that in July of 2020, she had had a miscarriage. But you didn't listen to this edition of The Politocrat, to hear me correct things. Although, you know, I, you know, I'm not trying to minimize the mistake I made because you shouldn't. Whatever you do in life, you should always want to be better at what you do and never settle. And I do, by the way, thank you all for um, continuing to listen to this podcast. And I want to also thank those of you who have um, taken time out of your your busy lives. I mean, my goodness, you've got so much more that you have to deal with um, than saying anything about what I do. But I do thank those of you who have been so kind as to either, um, wh- whatever form it is, make comments to let me know that you appreciate the podcast, you appreciate what I do, um, that, you, that you like what you hear, you enjoy it, that you listen those things are really nice. Thank you very much. And I do appreciate them. Uh, and I really do appreciate them very much. I like, I mean, it's it's nice to hear nice things about what you do. Um, and it's also nice to hear, by the way, <clears throat> excuse me, when there are things that, um, that you may not like or things that you disagree with. I, I would want to hear those too, by the way. Um, but in, in any event, Regarding those, you know, the constructive criticisms, always welcome too. But I, for those who say the things that you say, thank you. Um, I do appreciate it. It means a great deal to me. Um, I do, however, and I've said this before, note that while praise is very nice and it's very welcomed, um, I am not somebody who sits on that and gets so pleased with myself because I'm the kind of person that believes that you should never settle and believes that you shouldn't take anything for granted and believes that you can always do a little bit better and you can always strive for better and that you should never settle. Never think that you are entirely on the top of your game, whatever that game is in your life, whatever that is, whatever you do well in your life, dear listener, Whatever things you know you are very good at, you know that you are really good at, 
Never settle and never be satisfied for it. Well, yeah, they're saying nice. Never rest on that. You have to keep pushing yourself to the point that you are satisfied with what you do, not with what other people say. You drive the bus and you drive the agenda. But thank you very much. I really do appreciate what you say. I appreciate those of you out there who are buying the products that I design. The t-shirts, the sweatshirts, the many other things. And they'll be, <clears throat> as I really am having some problems speaking this on this episode. <laughs> but there will be more products released on the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. I thank you so much for patronizing the store. Continue to do so, please. And spread the word. Please spread the word about the Politocrat Daily Podcast store. It would be greatly welcomed and greatly appreciated. And again, thank you for those of you who have stopped by the store and purchased something. As I say, there'll be more to come. And there will be an unveiling um, sometime today of the Love in Retro Collection expansion. There's going to be an expansion to that collection um, as we get towards springtime. And uh, there will be some of that expansion released um, on this Monday, March 8th, 2021. So stay tuned for that and visit the dash politocrat dot myshopify.com please do and take a look at all the merchandise there and there'll be more to come in the um, coming days coming weeks um, I really do appreciate um, you stopping by and also purchasing thank you please buy bye 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 now um, greatly appreciated the spring collection is in full bloom at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. So visit now at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. I hope you were well on this Monday, as well as can be expected given the circumstances. Of course, a lot happened over the weekend. And of course, there's a lot more going on in the world than what happened yesterday here in the United States. But I am going to spend a little time talking about it today and then we'll be talking about a few other things before um, thinking about tomorrow's episode already, um, which I already have been thinking about. But the thing that I do want to get into is this episode's um, last night because I talked about, well, in last night's episode of this podcast, I talked about what about what Meghan and Harry, um, what happened to them and what happened to Meghan and, and in particular and the royal family in England um, and its treatment of Meghan Markle. And I, I commented on that. I had not seen the interview last night that Oprah Winfrey did. And I know that tonight, my fellow country persons in England, in the United Kingdom as a whole, will be watching this because it will be airing in the UK later on tonight. Now, the thing is, this is the thing. The cat's already out of the bag because the clips have been shown on Twitter 
people have been spoiling it on Twitter. They are the the news organizations, and you've been hearing uh, Sky News, and I'm going to play a little bit more from Sky News coming up um, in a few minutes' time. People already know the thrust of in the UK. If you're listening to me and you're in England or you're in another part of the world, you already know the thrust of um, what's been said. And I'm not going to repeat all of it, except to say that none of it surprises me. It, it only is further confirmation of what I said to you yesterday about this royal family. And I told you that I personally am not a royalist. I am not a monarchist. I said to you yesterday that in recent years, I have come to like the Queen. And I know, and I, what I didn't tell you is, is that Queen Elizabeth II, according to some people in my native country, loves black people. Now, I don't know whether that's true or whether that's not true. Apparently, though, there are people um, who have met her and people who know of her who actually say that this is true. But that's not the reason why I'm talking about last night's interview. Last night's interview was damning, although... It wasn't so much damning, actually, than it was just telling the truth about the royal family. Meghan Markle spoke her truth, and Harry did as well. And it was really an awakening for Harry. That's when I watched this yesterday, and Oprah, thank you for doing such a great job. I knew you would. I knew you would, because you've been doing such a great job for, what? excuse me if I say it, four decades now. You've been doing that. You've been doing that. At least four decades. Sorry to uh, mention the amount of decades, but you know, you know. And I'm sure that Oprah, by the way, is not sitting on her laurels either with all the praise that she gets every day. And I'm sure she gets a lot of hate mail from people. You know, but she gets a, a, a billion times more praise, I would suspect. She's not sitting on her laurels. I almost said royals. She's not sitting on her laurels. She is busting her hump. And, and she's working every day to continue to bring quality and to bring enlightenment to people and also to bring something to people's lives. Now, in the grand scheme of things, as I think I was mentioning, this story is not the biggest of big deals. There's so many more far more important things going on on the planet. And I, it doesn't mean, though, that I am not going to speak about this because I do think it is worth talking about only to just reinforce that what happened to Megan is a microcosm of the world that we live in. This is a microcosm of it. And this is what happens every day in families where you've got racist parents who say to their children, oh, you can't go out with this guy. Or you can't go out with that young woman or that older woman or that woman, period. It doesn't matter how old she is. You can't go out with her. You can't go out with him. You can't go out with them. It's a microcosm of, of what the society is, what the societies are. 
And the royal family is a symbolic, institutionalized whiteness and racism and anti-blackness that goes on. That is exactly who they are. This is the same thing I told you yesterday, didn't I? Dodi Fayed. Ooh, the Egyptian. Ooh, we can't have him. We can't have him putting his hands on Diana. Ooh. I mean, this family is a racist family. The institution is racist. And when Harry was talking about this yesterday, when he talked about people making decisions around the Queen and lying and all and all kinds of things that were going on. Meghan was talking about Archie. Ooh, and they were telling Harry about skin color. Ooh, we were concerned. He might come out a little bit dark, you know. He might, he might come out of the oven a little dark. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is the, and I put it that way to, sh- to convey how crude and disgusting and racist these people are. They didn't care about Meghan Markle. Sparkle Markle. They didn't care about Sparkle Miss Markle. They couldn't stand Meghan Markle. They hated her. And that's a microcosm of this world that you and I live in. If you're white listening to this, you have people in your family who've said openly, openly, blatantly racist things. My question is, how did you respond when you heard your mother or father or aunt or uncle or grandparent or your spouse say something racist. Did you say anything back? Did you chuckle and laugh because you were uncomfortable and then you still said nothing? Did you ignore it? Or did you open your mouth and say something? Because Prince Harry obviously was somebody who was not going to stand for this. And so it was is either you or is my wife and he picked his wife and he did what anyone who really cared about the woman he loved would do up and leave and and try to protect him himself by the way even though he got security no problem there we're not revoking his security but for Meghan Markle and their child oh no no security for you but he did what was right to protect Himself, herself, and the whole family. Because, of course, he saw this with his mother, Diana. And when Dodi Fayed and Diana were in love, that racist-ass family that some of you love, that some of my uh, pals across the pond, some of my uh, buddies across the pond, and friends across the pond love, that family were very cold toward Diana. Very cold. And we're seeing it again now. And we're seeing it again in volumes. Viciously. Diana was beloved in England. Markle, Meghan was not. She was not beloved in England. I talked about that yesterday. I'm not going to go through that again. And we will see the reaction in the UK tonight. We'll be watching that. I will say a little something about it tomorrow before moving on because... I mean, three episodes, and I'm normally someone who doesn't talk about the celebrity stuff because that's what this is. It's celebrity stuff. It, it's, it's not, it's a little rough for me to say that it is fluff, but in the grand scheme of what's going on on this planet right now, 
this is a diversion, mate. I mean, this is an absolute diversion. Um, I know that the coverage is going to be off the wall because it feeds ratings. And I'm sure that Oprah got an excellent rating for this here in the United States last night. And I can bet that she's going to get an even more excellent rating in the UK because every television set is going to be glued to ITV tonight as the same interview airs that we got, got to see, you know, last night. But this is a microcosm. This royal family is only a reflection, but a mere reflection of the entire institutionalized systemic whiteness and anti-blackness that is pulsing throughout all of these countries around the world, including the one that I am doing this podcast from, the United States of America. This systemic whiteness and institutionalized anti-blackness is deep in the heart of England, deep in the heart of the whole United Kingdom, particularly England. I mean, you've got members of parliament in England right now saying racist things. There's been a whole track record of... of uh, Things that conservative MPs say about black people, about Jewish people, about. I mean, come on. This is this is something that strikes at the heart and people in England who are feigning surprise and oh, this is damning. And I'd use the word damning, but I told you it wasn't so much damning as it was their Megan telling the truth that we all know about the royal family and we all know about racist societies. And of course, there was no mention of Queen Sophia Charlotte. Of course, there wasn't. <laughs> I, I, no one's going to mention Queen Sophia, of Sh Sophia Charlotte. I told you about Queen Sophia Charlotte yesterday. Please go and, and uh, do some research online about Queen Sophia Charlotte. I told you that she is a black queen in England. I told you. I also told you that you can read Black Tudors. Black Tudors, the untold story by Miranda Kaufman, the professor there in the United Kingdom. I also told you that you should read and could read Black Britannia by Edward Scobie, S-C-O-B-I-E. Tell you about this history of black people in hierarchy in, in England. The Tudors. I mean, come on. And no one wants to talk about this in England. You know, I never got taught about Queen Sophia Charlotte in my history lessons in England. I never got taught that in school there. Never. And surprise, surprise. I wonder why. But what you saw last night, for those of you who watched in the United States, is the truth that Megan unveiled. I mean, that was what it was. It wasn't so much damning. I know the English press, oh, it was damning, and oh, I feel duped. And who cares if you feel duped by the fact that they actually were married before they had the ceremonial wedding that the world saw? Who cares? How many people have, oh my God, this happens in a lot of the cases on an everyday level. There are people, right? You get married, right? You have your private ceremony, and then maybe you opt to have the formalized ceremony where you invite 50, 30, 20, 100 people or more. 
Oh my God, that happens all the time. I get it that we're not all members of the royal family. We're not in the royal family. I get it. And we don't have an audience of billions watching us. I get it. But please, oh my God. Oh, the, the, someone, a royal expert on Sky News, which is owned by Comcast Cable from the United States, you know. And you may have Comcast slash Xfinity. It's the same thing on your cable system here in the US. But I have to see someone a royal expert, and I know, I'm not going to mention her name. Oh, I was I feel duped. To be honest, I who cares if we feel duped? I mean, really, I honestly shouldn't be giving any of this story very much oxygen at all. It's got quite enough on which to survive. Thank you very much. But you know, this is the this is the thing. This is what happens when you have a society and a world that is anti-black, that is anti-black women that is racist to the core and that upholds whiteness to its very hilt. That same English press responding today is some of the very same English press that treated Meghan worse than a Nazi. You would have thought that Meghan Markle was somehow a member of the Nazi party, a member of the Third Reich, I mean, seriously, I mean, I know that's grotesquely offensive, perhaps, to some people. But they treated her, in fact, they treated her worse than a member of the third. I'm telling you, I told you yesterday, Wallace Simpson, and she was pilloried, and rightly so. Edward was pilloried, but not as much. There's a Nazi sympathizer, American named Wallace Simpson, who in 1936 in 1936, Edward, the whatever, 7th, 8th, 3rd, 5th, Edward with a number at the end of his name, abdicated his throne abdicated his throne, which means to leave the throne. He quit. I'm out. Because Wallace Simpson, oh dear me, I can't handle. I can't handle. I, 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 I love her. And oh my God. Oh my goodness. And he left the throne for her. Do you understand? This is a Nazi sympathizer. Documented. This is not, oh, she took a shine into the boots that Hitler wore. Ugh. This is a, a full-blown, I believe in it, full-blown. And she didn't get the kind of bitter, bitter scrutiny in the press that Meghan Markle has. Didn't get it. The press was much worse than Meghan Markle. And you compare that to what M Kate Middleton got. And Kate Middleton was treated like the princess. And Meghan Markle was treated like garbage. And I keep telling you that racist right-wing element of the press on Fleet Street in London. I told you. I told you. And I mentioned the newspapers. The Sun, I told you about that yesterday. Liverpool will never Ever. You, you go to Liverpool now, you will never see the Sun newspaper there because it is not sold there. It is not even printed or distributed there. 
because the population of Liverpool, Liverpudlians will not buy that newspaper. You won't find that on Merseyside. You won't, well, you certainly won't find it in Liverpool, period, that part of Merseyside. You won't find it there. After what that paper lied and what they did to 96 Liverpool fans who had died, it's like they murdered them twice. That right-wing rag, the sun, that right-wing rag, the Daily Telegraph, that right-wing rag, the Daily Mail, the Mail on Sunday, the Daily Express. These are these hideous, racist English newspapers. And this is the damage that they do. They damage Meghan Markle. They hurt her. And they almost drove her to end her own life. I will talk a bit about that and we'll give you some phone numbers for some help that you might need or someone you know might need. Coming up next. Welcome back. And I left you there with Meghan Markle, um, or at least I said this, Meghan Markle um, talking about, um, or I said that, that she talked about ending her life. She was that close and she couldn't be left alone. And by the way, if you or anyone you know here in the United States specifically are grappling with the same kinds of things, you know, wondering whether or not you really think it is sensible to continue on in this world. If you're grappling with those kinds of things, you're having those kinds of thoughts, I really do urge you right now, dear listener, to call this phone number. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. They are there for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is free of charge. It's confidential. It's support for all kinds of people, yourself or someone else you know, who may be in some distress, there's a life crisis, there's something that you really do need help with and it's overwhelming to you and you need help and you just don't know where to turn and you really are considering leaving this well. And these people that I'm going to give you the phone number for are superb at this line of work. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I know of people who have been in this predicament and I have certainly suggested what I'm about to suggest to you as an audience, which is to call this phone number here in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. That is 1-800-273-8255. Of course, there's a lot going on. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This is a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week phone number with a live person there. During a pandemic, there's going to be someone there to help you. So I do want you to take full advantage of that particular phone number because it is one that will help you. And I, I, I strongly advise you to do that because it's a very difficult time, you know, very difficult time. So that in the United States is the place to go. Also, you can go to their web page. If you don't want to make the phone number uh, out, if you don't want to do that and it's not safe for you to, uh, maybe it's safe for you to try their web page. It's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Once again, the web page, web page address, 
suicideprevention.lifeline.org. In the UK, if you are struggling in the same kind of way, um, if you are, you know, really um, trying to figure out whether or not you want to stay in the world, seriously, I really do advise you to seek out help from this phone number in England, the Samaritans, at 116123. And I will... Um, put that phone number as the as well as the other phone number from the United States and the web page and I'm going to give you the web page for the Samaritans in a moment. I'll put all these into the podcast liner notes so that you can look at them. Whichever platform that you listen to this podcast on, I will put a link to all of these places and put the phone numbers there as well because you may need help or someone you know may need help. These are very difficult times. And there are things going on perhaps in your life that are extremely overwhelming and stressful. And I'm here to tell you that you don't have to go through this alone and that there are people who can at least help you and listen to you and offer some important tools for you in this really cruel and harsh world during a pandemic. The webpage for Samaritans in the United Kingdom is actually Samaritans.org. Samaritans, S-A-M-A-R-I-T-A-N-S dot O-R-G. Again, the phone number there, 116-123. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Samaritans, live and in, uh, over your phone. Please call them. And this applies not just to England, but also in Ireland and Scotland and Wales, all over the United Kingdom. So this is not just England. It's also applicable to the rest of the United Kingdom and also to Ireland, because Ireland is actually not part of the United Kingdom. It is its own country. So, you know, let me just put it that way. I mean, Scotland... And Wales are their own countries too, but they're all part of the UK. So Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and England are all part of the United Kingdom. Four nations inside the United Kingdom. Ireland is its separate independent nation. And that is where we stand. Those are the um, things I wanted to say to you about that. Very important. Very important. And so... You know, that's the thing that I think the one thing that did surprise me, although it really totally wouldn't, was that Meghan Markle was on the verge of ending her life. But why would it really surprise me when you know how oppressive that family is, that whole institution? And it's not necessarily the Queen or even Prince Philip, who, again, had his picture taken with Nazis way back when. It's about it's about the institution the monarchy, that kind of thing, and the press that backs it, the press that's in bed with it, the press that's basically the stenographer of it. The press coverage of the royal family in England has always been, the English press I'm talking about, has always been favorable to the royal family. 
And if it has damned members of it, it's damned them at the royal's behest, basically, because that's what happens. I mean, Prince Andrew is an idiot, among other things, and a molester, quite frankly. I mean, remember when he had that BBC Two interview with Emily Maitlis? And Emily Maitlis asked him questions, and he just came across like he didn't care, and he couldn't care less about the damage he had done to the woman, uh, Virginia Giuffrey. And I don't think that's her last name anymore. I think it's uh, Roberts, Virginia Giuffrey Roberts, or Virginia Ro- um, she's she's since married. Um, but the point I'm making here is that um, <sighs> the coverage is always of the person who's actually done something um, damaging, but never of the institution itself. There is never any real questioning of the British royal institution, that imperialism, that colonialism. And there's never a question about it, really, by the English press. And why would one expect that there would be? So that's the thing here, really. I, you know, I think the bottom line here is that this will blow over um, in the United States pretty soon. Although I think the comments of Serena Williams and uh, the comments of the Poet Laureate and uh, Amanda Gorman, I think, are right on point. Um, and... Uh, you know, I mean, I just think that they're, they're so on point. And I will read the tweets um, right now. Let me just do that. And I'll play you then a little bit of what Sky News had to say today on their broadcast. But Meghan Markle, this is Serena Williams on Twitter, at Serena Williams. Meghan Markle, my selfless friend, lives her life and leads by example with empathy and compassion. She teaches me every day what it means to be truly noble. Her words illustrate the pain and cruelty she's experienced. I know firsthand the sexism and racism institutions and the media use to vilify women and people of color to minimize us, to break us down and demonize us. We must recognize our obligation to decry malicious and founded gossip and tabloid journalism. The mental health consequences of systemic oppression and victimization are devastating, isolating and all too often lethal. I want Megan's daughter my daughter and your daughter to live in a society that is driven by respect. Keep in your memory the fruitage of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, mildness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Lovely, wonderful, Serena Williams. I just love that tweet, that statement from her. And yes, if you heard the words Megan and daughter in the same sentence, it's because... And everybody in the world knows this now, so I'm not giving away any trade secrets here. That Megan is knock on wood, and it's I always have a superstition about that, um, which is why I knock on the wood here, is having a baby girl. That was revealed in the interview, which now the world knows anyway, so I'm not giving away anything. Um, unless you were able to stay away from Twitter or close your eyes and pin your ears and not watch any TV at all, um, or at least stay only on Netflix, then you wouldn't have known that. So if I spoiled it, my apologies to you, and I am sorry, but I doubt that you would have uh, not seen this somewhere or heard it on Twitter or seen it on some social media platform. But anyway, that doesn't excuse me. I still spoiled it for you, perhaps. 
But, um, and I apologize. And there you go. That was Serena Williams. And, and one more tweet I want to read. Um, and, you know, Serena Williams should know about this. We all know about this as black people. And as famous black people like Serena Williams, my goodness, I did podcast episodes here last year about how Serena Williams was being demonized in the United States press and in the English press as well. Oh, and, you know, the New York Times saying things like, oh, and yeah, you know, interviewing all these white female tennis players. Oh, I wouldn't want to have my body like that because I want to stay feminine. I mean, my God. So what? Serena Williams isn't feminine? Again, it's this racism. Oh, that black women are somehow not feminine? Oh, Serena Williams has muscles and ooh, that means she's less of a woman? Oh, please. I mean, quite frankly, it is to Martina Navratilova, who's white. I remember that back in the 1970s and 80s when in England when you heard the English press Oh, Martina's a man. and I mean, they've done this with some white women too, but that's not the point here. The point here is the anti-blackness. I am not going to allow, oh, they've done it to white women too, to be the point here. Because I know some people listening to this will go, well, they did it to this person as well. But I'm not going to let that trample my point. Which is that there is anti-blackness and anti-black women attitudes. And not just attitudes, sentiments fervently in the American press, in the British press, all over the world in society. And amongst those white male and white female in particular, callers, some of whom call into the BBC and say, get your hands off my Harry. You know, I mean, it's just, as I talked about in yesterday's, it's just pervasive. I mean, the New York Times wrote so many articles about Serena Williams and all of them had the racism dripping out of them, the racist nature. And it's not, Oprah got one thing wrong last night. It's not that, oh, are you saying that race played a role? It's not that race played a role. It's that the British white racists played a role. You know, we've got to start speaking about this. And I keep telling you, dear listener, about language and how important language is and how we really have to reframe it and use it in a way that is not crazy and insane, but use it in the way that it should be used. And when you're in a systemic oppressive world of anti-blackness, the language is used in this really bizarre way against you so that you're speaking from the oppressor's perspective. And it's not that the issue of race is the issue. That's not the issue here. And race is a social construct. I know that that's cold comfort to all of us as black folk and brown folk and native folk and Asians who experience this on a daily basis in the real world. But it's not that race is the issue. It's that racists are the issue in the royal family, in society. White people who are racist are the issue in that family, in the world, in that family every day, in that royal family institution. Those who advise the queen, they are the ones who are the issue here. The ones who said that, well, we're concerned about Archie's skin color. He may be a little bit more, he may be darker than the average. Well, you know, I mean, mm, we're concerned about his skin color might be a little bit too dark, you see. 
those people are the issue. It's not that race is the issue. And I mean, Oprah got that one wrong. Uh, but that's the only misstep. And I don't, I'm not castigating Oprah so much as saying that that's the language that a world is, is speaking in, that we speak in. Oh, the race is the, oh, the race card. And I told you about that race card garbage. And I made it very clear. I explained what that was and how ridiculous and offensive and insane it is to be speaking that kind of language. It's the oppressor's language that you're speaking. It's the systemic racist language. It's like when people say, slave, slave, slave. That's the language of the oppressor because that's what the white male enslavement owner called us as black folk. Slave, slave, slave. We were enslaved. We were put in a position. We were free people and we were driven from the continent by force and violence, kidnapped, stolen from our ancestry and our motherland, our homeland, and brought here in chains. We were enslaved. We weren't just slaves. We weren't slaves, but we were put into a position of enslavement. And that's the language we have to be speaking here. It describes what was done to us. Not, oh, we're slaves. And I see and hear so many black people and white people talking like that. Oh, and slavery and enslavement and slaves and slavery. It's not slaves. It's we were enslaved people. It's not slavery. It was enslavement. And no, this is not semantics. This is real. This is real. And we have to start reframing language. So Oprah, you know, that was the one thing there, you know, when she says that in the interview. And those of you in the UK are going to see this. Oh, that race played a role. Like this invisible, magical dust called race played a role. That's not how this works, folks. It's institutions and it's people behind the institutions. There are people behind all of this. It ain't some pixie dust that's sprayed in the air. Race played a role. No, it's racists. People who hate black people played the role. They are the issue, not the black person. The black person's not the issue. We didn't do any. We are minding our business and trying to live our lives. It's the racist white person and that white institution and that anti-blackness. That is the issue. And that's what Meghan Markle and that's what all of us as black people come up against every day of our lives. Now, with her thoughts about ending her life notwithstanding, Meghan Markle is ultimately going to be okay. Harry is ultimately going to be okay. They are a solid unit. They are now here in California. They are going to live out their lives here. They're going to have a lovely family. They already have a lovely family. And, you know, sometime in the next few months, when Megan gives birth, you know, they're going to be very happy and I'm going to be very happy for them. I'm very happy for them and thankful for them lifting the cover off this this evil monarchy and this colonialist, racist, murdering monarchy. Yeah, I said it. I'm from England, born and raised and grew up there. But no one's going to... There'll be people who will admit it in England. Not many, though. Not many. But that's what it is. Study history. Read your history. I mean, this is what happens. And nobody has the guts in the English press, they're never going to talk about this. 
They're going to defend the monarchy. They're going to defend the institution. So when you watch the coverage, you're going to hear all of the people who are mouthpieces or allied to or tied to the monarchy or who know that if they say something against it, their job is done. They're going to be defending the, 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 the institution, which needs to be gotten rid of. You've got so many people in England now in austerity. They're in austerity forever. And we've got this monarchy making all this money. We're paying taxes for it over there. They're living off our taxes. And what are they doing? I know they're doing good things for charities, and they, but they're living off of us, living off of It's an outmoded, outdated thing, and it needs to be abolished. And there are people in England who would agree with me and who have been calling for it forever. You need to get rid of this. They out, they've outlived their usefulness. They've outlived it. And it's proof. And Amanda Gorman, who I didn't read you the tweet from, but I will now. Amanda Gorman is absolutely right. She is the poet laureate who made, made, gave that lovely rendition of the poem at the inauguration of uh, President Biden, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, Vice President, uh, back in January. Here's what she said in a couple of the tweets. At the Amanda, G-O-R-M-A-N. Megan is living the life Diana should have if only those around her had been as brave as as she was. Megan isn't living a life without pain, but a life without a prison. Well said. Here's the other tweet that I picked out, and there's a series of them uh, on her Twitter page there, at the Amanda Gorman. Here's the second tweet that I, I retweeted, at the Popcorn R-E-E-L. Here's what Amanda Gorman tweeted yesterday evening. Megan was the crown's greatest opportunity for change, regeneration, and reconciliation in a new era. They didn't just maltreat her light. They missed out on it. Absolutely. Seconded, thirded, fourthed, fifth. Probably not an English language word, but the point is, is that Amanda Gorman nails it. Amanda Gorman's about 20 or 21 years old. 21, 22, 21. She's so young. And as a black woman, she gets that. Of course she understands. Of course she does. She understands much more clearly than anybody who is white will ever understand. They missed out. I will go a step further. It's not only that they missed out on Megan's light. And maltreated it. They didn't want it. <laughs> it's not that oops. They missed out. Which they did. She's right. I'm not impugning Amanda Gorman. I'm simply saying. They didn't care to want Megan's light. In the first place. They were too concerned about. Oh is Archie going to be a little dark you know. I mean. I could really speak in their own racist language, but I'm not going to do that because it's not entertaining and it's not funny. It's evil. I mean, I remember when that BBC presenter, um, Danny, first name, you know who you are, Danny, you racist so-and-so, tweeted out that photograph of 
two people, I think it was two members of the royal family from years ago, with a, with a gorilla. This is at the time that we were waiting to hear um, about Archie. Well, we didn't know, he hadn't been born yet, I don't think. And BBC, the BBC fired him after pressure from everybody. And then he had all these people who were fa- friends of his, famous people, defending him. Oh, I think Gary Lineker was one of them. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be mentioning names because I don't know hundreds. But they were all there. Oh, Danny wouldn't ever say anything racist. It wasn't a dig at Meghan Markle's kid because, oh, please. I mean, the whole institute, all of those people in the media, and Gary Lineker is actually a decent, good person. But these people have deeply ingrained, embedded things in them too, which they have not looked at. They've not looked at it. Oh, I'm defending my friend. Let me tell you something. I don't care. I, if I was black, or well, I am black, but if I was white, I would be standing up against this stuff. It's about the kind of person you are. And there are, I'm sure there are a few white people who would call this out. And I know there are because they're doing it on Twitter now. So there are white people who do this. Anybody of any group will do this if they are, if they've got principle and if they believe truly that there should not be any racism, that anti-racists must prevail and that we all must be anti-racists. That, that is what this is about. You don't just run to jump to defend somebody blindly because they're your friend or because you've got access to them in the White House. And if they're dropping bombs, you don't just defend that. Oh, I've got access to them. And so I'm not going to say anything. No, you should actually, whether it's publicly or privately, say, look, President Biden, no. That, I just disagree with you. Are you going to lose a friendship because of that? If you think you are, then well, so be it. But that's all true friend, right? Is that you can tell the truth to your friend. And maybe there's a rankle. So what? There's a little rancor, a little rankle, a wrinkle, whatever you want to call it. But so what? Friends should be able to be honest with each other. Not, oh, I'm not going to say anything because I want to stay friends with him or her or them. That's not friendship. That is you groveling to power, you groveling to fear. And, oh, I don't want to lose that. Well, look, I'm not trying to trivialize some of this stuff. could be very complicated, but maybe it's not so complicated because it's clear when someone does wrong, you should be calling it out. You really should. And this royal family, and one thing Amanda Gorman is right about uh, or some of the comments to one of those tweets is right about is that they didn't deserve Megan. They didn't deserve Archie and they didn't want them. That's my whole point. It's not all, It's not just that they missed out on it. They didn't want her light to begin with. Just like they didn't want Dodie Fayed. Just like they didn't want any of these people. They probably didn't want Queen Sophia Charlotte. Come on. You know they didn't want Queen Sophia Charlotte. Come on now. In the 1700s, the 18th century, they didn't want the. They didn't want them. That's the issue. And it's not that race played a role. It's that the hatred and anti-blackness and racism and racists played the role. That's what happened here, folks. That's what happened. And let's be really brutally honest about it. 
I'm going to be playing you some of what Sky News had to say early today. And then I will come back with a rundown of some of the things to look out for here this week in the United States. Politically, that is, politically. Coming up next. This is Sky News live from Buckingham Palace after the explosive interview which has rocked the royal family. The Duchess of Sussex claims a member of the royal family raised concerns about her unborn child's skin colour. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Meghan tells Oprah Winfrey she suffered from suicidal thoughts but was told by the palace she couldn't get help. And Harry says he feels let down by Prince Charles, claiming his father stopped taking his calls. Hello, good afternoon from Buckingham Palace. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have made a series of explosive claims about their life as working royals, criticising the institution and members of the family. In their tell-all interview with Oprah Winfrey, Meghan said she'd suffered suicidal thoughts but was told she couldn't get help. And she claimed one royal had raised concerns about her unborn child's skin colour. Speaking on US TV earlier, Oprah said Harry told her that comment did not come from the Queen or Prince Philip. Meanwhile, Harry revealed that he felt let down by Prince Charles, saying that at one stage his father stopped taking his calls. Our royal correspondent Brianna Mills reports. There is no subject that's off limits. The heavy promotion had built up the hype, but no one expected Harry and Meghan to go this far, claiming they'd faced questions from within the royal family about the colour of their unborn child. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. Meghan explained how it was Harry who had those conversations and in her mind the institution didn't want their son to be a prince because of his heritage. She said, in those months when I was pregnant, around that same time we had in tandem the conversation, he's not going to be given security, he's not going to be given a title and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. But it wasn't just about their son. Harry claiming his family also failed to acknowledge that the way that Meghan was being treated as different was an issue. Over 70 female MPs in Parliament, both Conservative and Labour, came out and called out the colonial undertones of articles and headlines written about Meghan. Yet no one from my family ever said anything over those three years. That hurts. Meghan's next admission was just as damning. She said she felt so stifled, she was left suicidal. I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. And I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. 
Wiping away a tear, she explained how she'd attended this event with Harry because she was too afraid to be left at home alone. Describing how senior people in the palace and even human resources said they couldn't offer any help. Were you silent or were you silenced? After the promo, we now know the answer, Meghan claiming she was made to stay quiet. I did anything they told me to do, of course I did, because it was from the lens of we'll protect you. Not only was I not being protected, but they were to lie to protect other members of the family, but they weren't willing to tell the truth to protect me and my husband. The revelations came thick and fast. We, you know, we were told that at the palace they want to hide behind a sofa. Uh, they needed a bomb shelter in all of this. But this was their chance to set a few things straight. On those claims she'd upset Kate ahead of the wedding, Meghan said actually Kate had made her cry. They also admitted they'd taken their vows privately with the Archbishop three days before the big day and revealed they're expecting a baby girl. My biggest concern was history repeating itself. In the promos, we'd heard about Harry's desire to protect his family, but in the process, he says he's felt unsupported by the Prince of Wales. Two conversations with my father um, before he stopped taking my calls. Harry said he's been through something similar. He knows what pain feels like and Archie's his grandson. But at the same time, I will always love him. There's a lot of hurt that's happened. I will make it a priority to heal that relationship. And Buckingham Palace bracing for that extensive interview Harry and Meghan gave to Oprah airing their grievances. Watched in America as the royal family slept, the reaction was explosive. And we begin with the breaking news, stunning claims from the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. They avoided criticising the Queen, but as head of the institution, she will ultimately have to decide how they respond to these most damning claims. Rhiannon Mills, Sky News. So there you are, just a sampling of what Sky News had to say um, about um, these events <laughs> that took place, of course, in the interview. And I know, as I said, in the grand scheme of things, there are much more important things going on in this world. There are. But again, the reason why I spent so much time today talking about all of this is because, look, um, it's a microcosm of what's going on in everyday life to black people. Um, whether they're inside a white family or not, whether they are part of a family that's white or not, it's that the, uh, this, in, this yoke of this poison, this anti-racist, this, this anti-blackness, excuse me, this anti-black institutionalized racism. That's what we aren't dealing with. And we black people can't escape from this. It's not, the onus is not on black people to change this. We've died trying to change it. And some white people have too. But again, again, there has to be a wholesale dismantling of all of this. Otherwise, we're going to be still in this position a hundred years from now. And it is left to, again, the vast majority of white people, as James Baldwin said, as Harry Belafonte, the living legend, has said many times. And as Malcolm, as all the other people said, it's white people that will have to be the ones to say enough is enough and do something about it. Do something. And it starts with talking to people in your family. Just like Harry has done, just like Meghan has done. It starts with confronting people in your family about their racist ways. 
And if you're a white person who's married to someone who's black, married to someone who's Asian, but particularly married to someone who's black or brown, but especially someone black, and you're dealing with this, this is the time to make or break. You may find that uncomfortable, but what do you think black people find it as? Dealing with this on a daily basis, whether it's because they're married to someone or not. It's not because they're married, it's because of the racism. It's not because you're married to someone white or married to someone black. It's because of the vicious racists that you really discover who are in your inner circle or in your family or friends. And you have to make the decision to cut them loose. Because if you don't, you just enable that baggage. You just bring that on board with you, don't you? And you invite it to destroy your very relationship with the person you love. Right? You've got to make a choice. It's either love and what's right in love or you dance with the devil some more and you stay miserable. Just a quick look or a quick thing here on what's going on politically. A few things here in the United States. Um, The House last week, as you know, passed some really good legislation um, about voting. Very good stuff on on that front. We had the uh, it's yesterday was marking the fifty sixth year um, of Bloody Sunday, where of course on March the seventh, Sunday, March seventh, nineteen sixty five, um, the Alabama State Police and the state troopers there, the police there, brutally beat black people who were marching on that Klansman's Bridge there in Selma, Alabama, including John Lewis and including Amelia Boynton, the organizer and architect of the marches in Selma. She's the one that um, recruited Dr. King. She's the one. And that really gets talked about. By the way, Ava DuVernay's great film, Selma, features Amelia Boynton, played by Lorraine Toussaint, and a great job by Lorraine Toussaint. You've got to watch that movie, Selma. S-E-L-M-A, Selma, if you haven't. It's available, I'm sure, on streaming platforms and, and, and the like, but you've got to watch that film. And so yesterday, and I didn't mention this yesterday, shame on me. Uh, I did not mention yesterday that it was 56 years ago yesterday that Bloody Sunday took place. And as I said in repeat in previous episodes, Bloody Sunday, Sunday, March 7th, 1965, took place exactly two weeks after the assassination of Malcolm X. Exactly two Sundays after. And that really gets connected, right? Exactly two Sundays later. Sunday, bloody Sunday, bloody Sunday happens. Think about that. And in both cases, these people that were murdered were looking, were seeking justice and were calling for justice. They didn't do anything violent. And even if they had, it didn't deserve to be murdered. And I know it was black men that murdered Malcolm. I know that. There's also a system behind those black men as well who murdered him. And the lax police presence at the Audubon Ballroom, just like the lax police presence in Dallas in November of 1963, Open top parade for JFK and the police, they were kind of there and see open top. Oh, come on. He was walking into a death trap 
And Malcolm was too. No, put the NYPD strangely on the periphery? Oh, come on. The system had something to do with that. Are you kidding me? Oh, the system didn't know it was just a black man. But nobody acts on their own without some... Come on, this kind of thing? Come on, folks. Let's be really honest here. That It, it doesn't just happen that way. Not when you're talking about Malcolm X or JFK. Two very different people. Not when you're talking about... Well, you get the idea. You get the idea. But Sunday of 1965, Sunday, March 7th, will live on. And, you know, this, you know, just a few months after that, though the blood, sweat and tears, the people we lost, we got LBJ, we compelled him to sign the Voting Rights Act, August of 1965. And we need to strengthen it because, again, and then they know that the House passed some legislation on this last week. But we need to make this um, strengthened in the Senate, too, now. And we need to keep voting. So there's the, this week we're going to see uh, confirmations. Merrick Garland um, this week at some point in the Senate will be confirmed. The House this week um, will be voting on the amended bill that the Senate passed over the weekend, which I talked about on this podcast. That will be coming up this week. Expect the vote to be favorable to you, the American public, if you are here in the United States or wherever you might be in it, who may be, you may be American anywhere in the world, where whoever, it will benefit you. And it's not just people who are Americans, it's people who live in America, who may be from other countries, who are residents, you know. So that's going to favor you one way or the other, you know, unless you're making a certain amount of money, um, because, of course, we know that President Biden and others have said we've got to scale back. Who get, the people who get the amount of people who get this money, which of course isn't going to sit well with some people, but again, the House will pass this amended bill at some point this week before the March fourteenth deadline, and since that's only six days away, you can bet it will be this week that this will be passed. You will also see this week the confirmations of Merrick Garland for Attorney General, um, years after he should have been on the Supreme Court. Better late than never. At least he's in a position of power that will make a difference. The Justice Department, he'll be the Attorney General. And then um, you'll see these other con- confirmations. The EPA Chief Michael Regan should be, will be confirmed, I'm sure, sometime this week. And uh, other people will as well. The OMB um, Assistant or de- Deputy um, is going to be confirmed, I'm sure. And then the, she'll probably become the acting head of the OMB because, of course, near attendance nomination was withdrawn. She withdrew it last week or the week before. Um, I told you that was going to happen. I told you that that nomination would not survive. So she was DOA there, Neera Tannen. And Neera Tannen is a figure, uh, and I I hesitate to use the word controversial, but she is not somebody who was ever going to get plain sailing. If you look at her record, I mean, some of the things that she stood for ain't very good. I'll put it that way. But my whole thing here is that this week there'll be a lot going on and I'm going to get back to that. Also, we'll be talking uh, a little bit more about some of the other things um, that actually aren't political related, although there are, there's politics in them. I'll be talking there sometime this week uh, about film uh, and, of course, exactly a week from today, the Academy Award nominations will be unveiled. 
uh, for those of you interested in film or the Oscars, and I'm interested in both, but I've also criticized the Oscars many times in this podcast and in other fora. Um, I'm sure you've seen uh, some of the things I've said on Twitter if you are uh, a tweeter who follows me at the popcorn R-E-E-L uh, or you've heard me here. But I, I will be talking more about the Academy Awards as we get closer, or the nominations uh, as we get closer to them. Um, next Monday is the day. And you can bet I'll be talking a little bit about that. Not all about uh, on the on this podcast. Not all, but I'll talk a little bit about it. And also be talking about whatever political issues are coming. Guests will be coming up as well. So I know the last couple of weeks or so, there haven't been any guests on. That that's not because of uh, because they've not wanted to come on. I've just wanted to talk about some things that I think needed to be um, spoken about here. Um, and you will start to hear some guests coming uh, in the next few days. So do not fret, dear listener. Those of you who enjoy the the banter uh, with guests, because the guests are really everything, actually. I mean, and so are you as the audience. Those of you listening are everything, because this doesn't really get done without you, because I could be talking, and no one might be listening at all. And, <laughs> I mean... It's nice to talk, but it's even nicer when people listen and engage and all of that good stuff that I thank you for. So all of that's coming in the next few days and weeks. So stay tuned and please pass on the message. And also, please, while you're at it, go to the-politocrat.myshopify.com. Please, the love in retro collection will expand in short order. At some point during this Monday, March the 8th, 2021. Visit and buy. And thank you for those of you who already have. And thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.